Northwest with your host, Eddie Riot Jr., and I'm having problems getting on the Zoom, but we do have uh, Hayward Evans on the line, and we're also waiting to be joined by Shade Moore, who is uh, the chair of the Seattle MLK Organizing Coalition, a very successful event. Uh, we were spared the rain and was able to uh, be able to have an outstanding activity. So uh, Hayward Evans was one of the co-chairs of the Opportunity Fair, and uh, based on what I saw, Hayward, you have done, you and the team, John Glenn, uh, Miss Patton, uh, Miss Marlini, uh, and others did an outstanding job in getting that together. Uh, uh, so while we wait for Sade to join us, I'd just like to have you give the folks an overview of what transpired on Monday at the Opportunity Fair. Well, yeah, first, um, thank you for having me, Eddie. And first, I need to just share with the listenership that you and I co-chaired the event. So you hosted all the meetings, you did a lot of work on it. So I'm going to be clear up front about that. But also the entire committee, the entire team was absolutely fantastic. Uh, the people that you mentioned, uh, and Claude Burfeck, making sure all the unions were there, that was great. And then uh, and got, you got to give a shout out to Dr. D, everything that he did with te technology and the marketing plan. So we were very, very pleased. I mean, I was very pleased with the uh, entire event itself. We had over 60 participating uh, vendors. That includes uh, employers, uh, community resources, uh, and other services in the community. Delta Sigma Theta was very proud of them passing out um, the uh, uh, Constitution and talking to people about their rights and their relationship with the police. Proud of the NAACP, they were there. That was, that was absolutely fantastic. Some of the service organizations, but also the University of Washington Medical Center. They were fantastic, but the people, the uh, the attendees, the, the the job seekers, they were fantastic. I would say we had close to 500 people. I mean, they were just coming in and out. And Eddie, you know, we had we had drawings throughout the day. Uh, we gave away two $500 drawings. The people were so happy. Uh, we gave uh, drawings in the resume room. A shout out to Corey in the resume room. They. I was surprised every time I'd go in the resume room, they would have anywhere from from six to 10 people. Uh, and it was very great. Uh, they gave away three prizes, four prizes there, three $100 Visa gift certificates and one $25 Visa gift, gift certificate. And a, a shout out to, uh, um, to, to Leslie, uh, her and Marlene, they were absolutely fantastic in running the drawings where we gave away the uh, $25 gift certificates. But the people had a fantastic time. I was very proud of all of them, very proud of the unions. They were all smiling, happy, great interactions. Now, you know, in the past years, there have been quite a few jobs that were delivered on the spot. Did we have the same success this year? Were people actually hired on the spot this year? Where we got you know, I believe they, back yet? I believe they were, but our debriefing is next Monday. Uh, and then that's when we'll have the the actual numbers. So I don't want to quote any numbers until I, after we uh, have our debriefing. So that would that would actually be the what has been moved to the 29th now, right? That uh, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, to the 29th. And so has Shade joined us yet? He would just gave a critique, an uh, overview of what transpired at uh, the Opportunity Fair. Uh, you, you as the chair of the Seattle MLK Organizing Coalition. Let's have like to have you uh, give your impressions of what you saw on Monday. It was I thought it was very successful. 
And also, you might want to give too. a shout out to some of the committee members. So go right ahead. Yeah, no. So, um, I mean, what can I say about Monday besides we were unsure of the weather, but God be the glory. It was cold, but it was sunny, right? We didn't have any safety issues at all, um, which were great. Um, we had our medics there. We had the car brigade, the bike brigade there. We had members from the media. We had black business owners. We had alumni. We have members of the Divine Nine. Um, we had families. We had babies. We had young people. Um, we had our elders there. We had founding members there. I mean, you name it. Everybody was there to support, you know, the work that we've been doing and to celebrate Dr. King. Um, my calculations say that we had over 1,600 people inside of the gym. Um, which is amazing. I've never heard of that before. Um, one of our new data specialists, Dave Marlin Cincy, um, was there um, taking um, uh, just inventory of um, data that was coming in, how many people were coming into the gym, um, how many people were coming into our workshops, as well as our other events. So um, that was some, a great number to hear. Uh, yes, um, uh, entertainers that were there, um, which was which was great to see. I want to give a shout out to Macklemore who showed up for the event that day, uh, as well as our clergy um, and some of our public officials uh, were there as well. Um, to the coalition members, too many to name: Kendra Liddell, Katie Harris, Kale Shannon, Tana Yasu, Clifton Wyatt, Claude Perfect, Eddie Rye, Hayward Evans, Camilla Brown. Um, Nia Brown, um, Janet Woodward, uh, gosh, I, I, our, our interns, all seven of our interns that were there and present for the day as well. Um, we had an amazing intern event um, that kind of paved the way for the large marching rally on Monday. Um, gosh, who else am I missing? Uh, Christina Chang, um, Bob Barnes, um, Gosh, I mean, we had so many people um, that showed up that day just to support the work we were doing. I want to give a special shout out to uh, I am District 751, who was a recipient of our Dr. King Award uh, on Monday, as well as Izell's Famous Chicken. That was a recipient as well. Um, we'll continue to support community and honor those that are um, that have been supporting the work that we've been doing for years. So, um I mean, what can I say? Mo Vegan was there to supply food for the community for the community as well. Uh, Metro Transportation. Um, so many different people were responsible for putting on Monday's activities. Um, and if I left anybody out, it's not intentional. It was a lot of work, and I could tell you from the time I got there to the time the entire parking lot, the building was cleared out. It was a lot of work, but it was well worth it. Uh, you said that, that people can go to the website and get, uh, was there anything, will anything about the event be posted on the website? Was there any video or any still shots that's been posted? Yeah, so we are, we are currently working on um, receiving all of the edited photos from the event um, from some of our photographers. There have been several um, news articles that have came out about the event with members of our coalition giving um you know, some words regarding what does it mean to them? What does a celebration mean to them and to our community? 
Um, we've had, you know, our interns, which was amazing. On many of the clippings in the news, you see our interns um, that were at the helm of the march, which was amazing. Um, but yes, www.seattlemlkcoalition.org. Also, shameless plug, we are always accepting donations. Um, you can do so by going to our website. They can be sent electronically. There's also information about how to send a check. Um, the work that we do is volunteer, but we still have to pay business in order to get the work done. So we have our own bills as well. Um, also, we are always looking for more coalition members, uh, more volunteers. So if you're interested, definitely send an inquiry through the website as well. That will come to my team and we will get you plugged in um, to our email distribution list so you can hear about when we plan to relaunch our planning, uh, which will take place this summer for next year. How can the words I got uh, people, younger folks want to know, how can the interns get involved? Um, so what we do, if, if interns are interested in being involved, um, again, I'm going to go back and say, go to our website, www.seattlemlkcoalition.org. Uh, what we'll do is I'm going to have our intern program lead um, create uh, kind of a uh, contact uh, email and share that on our internship page. So anyone, if anyone is interested in interning, um, any young people, obviously, uh, 13 through 18 um, in high school, um, you know, we, we definitely want to make sure that we have you this, this upcoming year. Um, we started off with two. This past year, we had seven. Um, and we'll keep building on those numbers. Now, there were some very young people. I think Toya Taylor might be uh, directing this youth program. You heard people, in the, a young man in the sixth grade giving a dynamic speech, and there were other young people that were participating. Can you elaborate mm -hmm. on that and let our listeners know exactly how that came about? Um, that was very intentional. I think over the course of the last couple of years, you know, we've been pushing to um, put the spotlight back on our youth um, and to give them opportunities to be able to, um, you know, be heard and to speak about the issues that they're seeing in their community, in their schools. Um, so, you know, we are continuing to do that. Um, I mean, almost every ounce of our program was dedicated back to the young people this year, which was extremely amazing. So um, our community will see that every year, um, you know, from the entertainment to the spoken word um, to what you may have seen downtown, um, we're going to continue to give them a spotlight. Um, those young men, actually, I received a, uh, a text message from King 5 News just yesterday and um, they asked for the information for those young men because they are going to be doing a black history month segment in which they would love for those young men to speak so i've contacted kendra liddell who was the program lead um, to reach out to the parent and guardians um, and the program leads for the organization that we partnered with for those young men so that they can be continued to have a platform you guys did an outstanding job uh so, Hayward, is there anything you'd like to say in closing up? Well, I just want to give a shout-out to you, Sharday. You are a fantastic chairperson. I'm very, very proud to be associated with you, to work with you. I consider you more than just my leader. You're also my friend. And so, again, Absolutely. I, a huge shout-out. I can't out. do this work without you guys, so I appreciate Great it. Job. Great job. Okay, uh, I guess we're going to hear from James Bible shortly. Uh, do we have James on the line yet, uh, Eric? Okay, 
Well, uh, anyway, big things happened in Tacoma. The Manuel Ellis uh, uh, murder. And uh, now we see where three of the police officers are going to get $500,000 plus a lot of other money to leave the department. But their pictures need to be up on Facebook every week. So, uh, Hayward, you and Shadi, I want to thank both of you guys very much. You can hang on and listen to James Bible. He's coming up next. So thank you all very much. Outstanding awesome. job, thank you Madam Chair. So we appreciate your leadership, Shadi Moore. And Hayward, we definitely you. appreciate your leadership as well. Thank so you. So thank both of you all. Okay, Attorney James Bible. How you doing, Eddie? Oh, I'm doing fine. I couldn't get my Zoom to work, but I could thank, thank God for the phone, so it still works. But anyway, uh, I would just like to get your impressions. You know, it's one of the first times I've ever seen where a black person's been killed and had white witnesses live, and you could hear the lady yelling, what are you hitting him for? And for it to be a mistrial is just unbelievable to me. But I guess welcome to America, because uh, some things just haven't changed. So could you give a brief analysis of the trial itself and then talk about uh, what's next in terms of getting justice for the Ellis family? Absolutely. This is truly a rare circumstance in which you have three separate videos from three separate people that show the murder of a single man. Uh, independent witnesses clearly demonstrated that Manuel Ellis had done nothing wrong. He was simply walking home from a corner store when he was stopped by officers, hit with their police door, thrown to the ground, beaten, tased, choked, and then hogtied and left on the ground. And as he was saying, I can't breathe, sir, they were responding with shut the F up. The Washington State Attorney General's office did a thorough investigation and ended up deciding that the logical charges for these particular officers was murder in the second degree and manslaughter um, for three officers. The officers eventually went to trial. At the trial, um, I can tell you that it was something less than ideal, something less than constitutional, something less than what I would expect from courts. And I can say this as a uh, trial attorney of over 20 years. Uh, that I've never seen something quite like this from a judge, uh, was, which I would say is the first place in which we uh, experienced inequity in the courtroom. He commented on the evidence. He allowed evidence in that I've never seen allowed in on any occasion. Um, he made light of the fact that Manuel's body uh, was laid upon, that he was hogtied, that he was choked, that he was tased. Um, he uh, compared it to... Uh, his brothers laying on top of him uh, during breaks, he would say things to the effect of, uh, well, they must have stopped him for some reason uh, in front of the officers he would or in front of the jurors. He would actually challenge whether or not the state's experts actually were right. He'd say, well, I don't think that's right. I think that's not right. Or he'll say something to the effect of, well, maybe he was nervous because he was on probation. And those are just a couple of examples um, in which the judge absolutely sought to taint uh, this particular trial. He did not allow information in in relation to policy uh, or their past histories. There's one officer of these three that the academy actually wrote to the Tacoma Police Department and said, please do not hire this man because he was found to be dangerous while in the academy when he actually used force in a simulation in which no other officer at the academy at that time had actually used force. Um, this is the backdrop of what ended up being an acquittal. Uh, after the acquittal, the Tacoma Police Department indicated that um, they would be conducting their review in relation to these officers 
um, on our end, on the end of the family, what we decided was that logically we would have to go to the Department of Justice for um, any hope or chance of justice. Because the reality is when the state courts fail, uh, logically the federal courts should step in, the U.S. Department of Justice should step in um, for civil rights violations. We are um, in a place at this stage where the Department of Justice and the U.S. attorneys have determined that they will be in, in fact investigating these officers to see if um, there are any civil rights violations that are present where they can charge these officers uh, with crimes in the federal system. But in the meantime, the city of Tacoma in its infinite wisdom has decided to provide these officers who are on three years of paid administrative leave, $500,000 each, plus all of their accrued vacation time, plus all the money that they would have gotten from raises over those three years as part of a separation agreement. Frankly, this is unconscionable because the reality is you don't have to be convicted of murder to be fired from your job. Perhaps it would be enough for you to just be in a place where a judge and a court determined that there was probable cause for the charges of murder. Perhaps it would be enough that there were three videos that showed you beating, tasing, hitting, and ultimately killing a man in the street who was unarmed. Perhaps that should be enough for you to at the very least be fired. But what Tacoma did in entering into the separation agreement is they made it so that um, the decertification process with the state doesn't automatically happen. So what we end up having is these three officers have not only an economic windfall for the murder of a black man, they also have the opportunity to go to another department. It's absolutely amazing that, uh, you know, and, and, and I guess the Justice Department is going to look at this now. What is the status of the Justice Department investigation into what happened to Emmanuel Ellis? The, the Justice Department is in, investigation is in its infant stages. Um, they're just getting started with their work and their review. Uh, hopefully their review view will move quickly. But the reality with the Dep Department of Justice is that they're very thorough in the work uh, it will take. Uh, I'll also say that we have a civil matter still against the uh, city of Tacoma and all of the offending city of Tacoma officers, not just the three. Um, there are so many more than that. And uh, that trial, the civil trial, had been told while we were waiting for this criminal case to end. But I would anticipate that we should be going uh, to the civil trial within the next year to year and a half. And uh, right now, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, uh, folks getting $500,000. Who came up with that idea to pay people for killing someone? I think that ultimately uh, most of the blame would land squarely on the shoulders of the city manager for the city of Tacoma. I think people don't understand the dynamic that's present in Tacoma. Uh, the city council uh, does choose the city manager, but the city manager is not an elected official. I believe she's been the city manager for decades, and she has run this city without any accountability to the, uh, the people that elect the city council or the mayor. Uh, so the reality is the city manager is who we look at uh, in terms of these situations. The city attorneys are also who we look at in terms of these situations. And the reality is that there needs to be an overhaul in the city of Tacoma. Uh, on this day, uh, I believe that my office is in the process or we're about to file 
a lawsuit in relation to uh, the officer that actually ran over several people in the city of Tacoma. Uh, the reality is, and this is the first place where, where anybody is hearing that, but it's coming and it's coming today. I just have to check with my office to make sure that it's been filed. Um, but the reality is uh, that we know of too many other instances that do not get um, the publicity in so Tacoma. We know that more than just a few people have been hogtied by Tacoma police officers um, in recent years. And that's a reality that we are very much aware of. Um, we have talked to homeless folks that have had that experience. Um, and uh, they seem to do this with folks that they don't think have power or the ability to say uh, anything about what's happened to them or won't be believed. I want to ask uh, my co-chair, Hayward Evans, if you have a question or comment for Attorney James Bible. Yeah, James, is that judge an elected official? That judge is an elected official. His name is Shushkoff. Um, I am deeply disappointed with what I saw from that judge. Uh, I've never seen anything quite like it in our courts, and it definitely does not uh, create legitimacy in our system of justice. Is it possible to appeal the decision of the, of the jury? Unfortunately, it's not possible to appeal um, because it's an acquittal. Uh, if there had been a conviction, the defendants would have had the ability to appeal, but the state could not appeal a conviction or, and, I'm sorry, a, a an acquittal. And is there a system to track where these police might go since they can be rehired by other departments? Well, that's a, that's a, a significant question. Um, we don't know where these officers will go. I don't know if other um, systems are out there that will track, like, if they end up in uh, somewhere back east or down south or in the Midwest or wherever they might end up. I know that one of them comes from the East Coast and was an officer in the East Coast and had um, use of force complaints and complaints of racial bias there. And for whatever reason, the city of Tacoma still hired him here. Uh, James, you as past president of the NAACP. Is this a position the NAACP should be taking to review what these judges are doing? so that we make sure that uh, at least the people know, don't vote for this person when they're up for re-election. Absolutely. The NAACB should be front and center on exactly these types of matters. I believe that the Alaska, Oregon, and Washington NAACP state conference is actually standing with us in our request for a consent decree to be imposed upon um, the city of Tacoma. The reality is city of Tacoma needs outside intervention. Um, more than probably more than any other city in the state of Washington. Um, the federal government needs to step in and do everything that it can to protect those that find themselves within the city of Tacoma's borders. And I can concretely say that I believe uh, that black people in the city of Tacoma are in danger from their own police officers. Well, you know, the uh, Tacoma and Pierce County Black Collective has been all over this deal, and they were, I know they were occupied uh, in the, the trial. There was also, uh, uh, they they got attacked by having a bullhorn and having a demonstration, but when the, when the, when uh, when Blue when Blue Lives Matter did the same thing, there was no repercussions for them whatsoever. So I'm, I'm happy to say that through the leadership of Lyle Kwasim and uh, uh, Jonathan Johnson, president of Tacoma NAACP, and others over there, uh, Reverend, Reverend, Reverend Christopher and uh, Elder Tony Montgomery. I know they've been on it, and uh, uh, hopefully uh, 
we, you know, we can be able to do something to make sure it doesn't happen to anybody else. And hopefully, uh, uh, Attorney Bible, that uh, the, the, the Emanuel Ellis family will be compensated for a tragic loss of life of their loved one. So hopefully uh, you'll stay on the case. And we know that you do get results. And when the, you have to deal with the whole system, it is a little different. So uh, so the next move, as you uh, you said, they, they, you will be filing a civil suit. Uh, did you have filed a civil suit earlier on this case? We've already filed a civil suit. Um, we sued both the county and the city. Uh, the county has settled their portion um, for uh, just over $4 million. And now the city of Tacoma um, is essentially up to bat to make decisions in relation to what they're going to do. Um, but at this stage, we're preparing for trial. We're preparing to go all the way. Um, we have a desire to hear the officers questioned by us um, and to see uh, what we can do in terms of bringing light to this very difficult, horrific sort of moment. Uh, and we'll do everything that we can. I will tell you very concretely, um, not only did the was the judge problematic, but there was a defense attorney, Mr. Pertzer, uh, who represented one of the officers. And I was, as I was walking out of the courtroom one day, he told me, move on, boy. And I asked him again, what did you say? And he said, move on, boy. Or you keep it moving, me? boy. Um, <laughs> we were close. We were close. Um, and I was standing right beside uh, Manny's mother at the time, who was most impacted um, with her life experiences and what that kind of word meant uh, to her when it's said by a white man. And I'll never forget how it impacted her as she was walking out of the courtroom after having heard people say all kinds of things about her son who had been murdered. Um, we aren't going to stop. Uh, there, there is no way. We've come too far now. I think of all the people that have worked so hard over um, decades and centuries, frankly, at this stage, uh, to push for justice in the United States of America. We've come too far, we're not backing down, and we're standing up for Manny and anybody else that might be in that position. And um, the city of Tacoma needs to be ready for its change because it's coming. Attorney J.S. Bible, that's an outstanding job you've been doing in terms of re uh, the representation of uh, the Ellis family. And uh, I would encourage, uh, the folks to make sure people all across America know who these three officers are. Uh, with a, a social a social media right now, uh, it's kind of hard to hide. And uh, hopefully, you know, they don't end up getting in another department and duplicating the same thing that happened to Manuel Ellis. So uh, I really appreciate your efforts, brother. Is there anything you would encourage the community to do to support the Ellis family? Uh, speak out and speak up and be present, um, show up at the city council meetings, tell them that what you know and how you feel about what happened, write letters to the city council, um, be prepared to be out there because if we don't do something and if we don't say something, um, then every time this happens, they're going to think that they can just do it to us uh, without a response. Uh, if you're out of sight, you're out of mind. That's you gotta, right. You got to be present because if you're out of sight, you're out of mind. So, which, uh, Attorney James, uh, uh, I really do think the job you've done and the things you've been doing all along in your legal career, uh, as even as president of the NAACP, your work continues to get justice 
for people who have been denied justice. So we really do a thank you for your time. Thank you for the work you're doing. And the community needs to get behind whatever efforts you lay out there, whatever strategy you lay out there to support. Uh, you have my support because you're doing the right thing, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you, Eddie. I appreciate you. Okay. Hey, well, thank you very much too, brother. Okay, we want to give a shout out to uh, the Port of Seattle Diversity uh, Contracting Office with Ben Rice. So on Monday, he and a, a large group of the Port of Seattle people were at the Opportunity Fair. The Sound Transfers Office of Civil Rights, Equity, and Inclusion. The City of uh, Seattle's Purchase and Construction Services Department. SeaTac Bar Group, LLC. They own the African Lounge, Mount Room Bar, and Concourse A uh, out at SeaTac. Uh, and... Uh, also, uh, uh, Jerry Whitson and Rod O'Neill are the owners, and they're two uh, veterans from the Iraq War, both uh, officers in the military. Uh, let's see, do we have uh, Mr. Houston on, Eric? Uh, Mr. Houston, is uh, his family uh, lost uh, 10 acres of property in 1968 along Union Street. He was sharing with me that that was the only place Black families could buy property in Renton. Yeah, this is Renton. And a large number of professional athletes came out of uh, uh, off Union Street. And uh, in 1968, the Renton School District had his dad, who had a third grade education, put his mark. He couldn't, he couldn't write, put his mark on an agreement that bequeathed uh, their 10 acres of property they owned free and clear. They were using it to raise uh, livestock, uh, chickens, pigs, and what have you. And uh, now... Uh, Renton uh, School District didn't use uh, the property uh, to buy it, to build a school, but they did it to, uh, uh, well, since we have Mr. Houston on now, Mr. John Houston, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you, Eddie, for having me on. Okay, I was just telling people about some of your story, but you can do a much better job than me because it was your family that was affected by this uh uh, egregious, uh, underhanded action by the Renton School District. So why don't you go ahead and share with our listeners exactly what happened? Uh, okay, um, I will. And, and thank you. Uh, thank you for showing interest in uh, what happened to my family. My mother and father were from rural Louisiana, dirt road Louisiana. My father uh, heard that they were hiring a black men in Bremerton Shipyard, so he came out, worked for five years, couldn't work for nobody. He had been a sharecropper working in the fields. And uh, he saved enough money to buy 10 acres of land in Renton, the only place that black people could buy homes and land in Renton. It was a swampy area, so white people didn't want it. Um, so, you know, sell it to the black people. And it was a nice little black community. Um, we had... Six professional athletes come from that one little community. And Xavier Bonds was the first black Washington State patrolman uh, in this state, lived on, was from that little community. Uh, yeah, Clarence Williams, George Reed, Frank Reed, Gary Reed, Tony Roden, senior and junior, all came from that little community. We own 10 acres, and uh, they, uh, the school district uh, started asking my parents, to buy the land that they had bought in 1953, the year I was born. That was where I came home from the hospital to that land in 1953. And uh, 
My parents said, no, we raised pigs, chickens, cows. My father junked cars and tore down buildings, so it was a place that he made his living. And um, first there was one house burned down. Uh, they never found a, a reason. Um, they kept asking to buy the land. My parents still refused. Uh, then the second house burned down. And my parents still refused. Uh, then a bomb was sent off on our front porch, and that's when my father said, you know, I'm, I give up. You know, I've seen this stuff in Louisiana. I, I, I give up. The next, you know, my family's going to be dead. <clears throat> so my parents, they divorced. He moved to Moses Lake. My mother kept us in rent. And, um, what's surprising about the purchase Eddie is there was a middle school they said they wanted to build a new middle school there was a middle school and it's still there one mile from our front door and they still haven't built a middle school there and the population has quadrupled when my parents sold the land Renton school district kept it for a while then said there was no need for a school they sold it to Bellevue developers who built 200 homes, and that's what's on that land today, 200 homes, um, probably $800,000 to $1 million range. The Renton School District will get tax dollars till the end of time for each one of those homes, and they gave my mother and father pennies. So uh, we're, you know, we're, we're battling uh, the Renton School District. They, they have said nothing to us. Um, and they probably won't until some kind of uh, lawsuit or something like that is filed. Um, we attend the school board meetings. The next one is January 24th at 7 o'clock at uh, the district office. And I would like to invite anyone that would like to hear more about the story to, to come out and join us because, uh, um, as uh, Mr. Hayward and Mr. Bible were saying, it's, if we sit in silence, nothing's going to happen. They'll just wait till it quiets down, and they'll do it to somebody else. Um, so that's that, that's kind of the story that that I have about the land. And uh, it sounds like uh, Mr. Bible might be right on time. Do you have a law firm yet to represent you? Uh, we have uh, a consultant. Yeah, we do. Um, okay. Uh, and uh, any. Any uh, legal advice, or uh, we're open to. Um, but yeah, we do. We do have that. Now you had uh, mentioned. Uh, uh, I want you to just share with our listeners. You mentioned the names real quickly, but uh, Clarence Clarence Williams, Clancy Williams, went to Washington State. Was all American. Went to the Rams. Mm -hmm. So why don't you just talk a little bit about some of the brothers that that excelled in athletics uh, of the on of Union Street. Oh, yeah. and that was the only place black people could buy land too, right? And Renton was on just on Union Street. Yep, yep it was Union. Uh, we had uh, George Reed was there. They said he was. He went to Washington State also, mm -hmm. uh, but they said he was too small to play in the NFL. I think George he passed away last year, but George, uh, I, I think, still holds the rushing record in Canadian League football. George Reed became a. a uh, a powerful black man in Canada. He had to go to Canada to get 
his due. Um, I have pictures myself of George and the Prime Minister uh, Trudeau. They have streets named after George in, in Saskatchewan. They have a stadium. They have statues. Uh, he couldn't get that here in the United States. He had to go to Canada. Uh, same thing with Warren Moon. Warren Moon had to go up there to, uh, you know, they said he wasn't good enough here in the United States, but he's in the Hall of Fame now. So um, it was, uh, and Xavier Bonds, um, they they didn't have any black Washington State patrolmen until Xavier, um, who lived lived right on that street. Um, so yeah, it was a. It, we had barbershop, a beauty shop. We had a. My mother used to call it a jug joint, a little grocery store, um, a little grocery store. But you know, it couldn't get certain things at Safeway and Albertson. So Papa Sims had this little store there where you can get collard greens and ham hocks and and uh, chitlins. Even and, you know, I'm from you know, my people from Louisiana, so we eat every part of the pig. So. <laughs> But um, it, it was a nice little community until they saw the black people prospering, making the land work. We had swamps coming through there, little creeks. We raised farm animals, so it was perfect. We got free water. And I guess they didn't think about that when, uh, uh, when they uh, forced us. Out of all the black people that were in Bremerton that came over to look for property they all got led to the Renton Highlands okay um, well uh, John Houston uh, thank you very much for for uh, sharing that information and for your fight and once again you want people to show up at the Renton school board meeting and you said that's going to be on January 24th yes okay January 24th at what time at, at, at 7 p.m. it's right next to uh, uh, Walmart uh, right on uh, southwest 7th in, in red, gotcha. right, okay. right by the Walmart. Okay, brother. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad you're doing the fighting. And uh, I will be in touch with you, John. So thank you for your time today and for the work you're doing. We appreciate you. Okay, thank you, Ed. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and come back with uh, the new CEO. It's, I said interim, but she's a new CEO of Barry's Place, and that's Dominique Alex. I can't stand the right. At Sound Transit, we not only give people more reliable ways to get around, we're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire system of opportunities, like jobs, school, friends and family, and to the airport. Our commitment to economic development provides opportunities for women and people of color to compete fairly for Sound Transit contracts. All of this helps our regional workforce grow and thrive. Go to soundtransit.org and search DBE to learn more. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. 
Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Real people, real life, real radio. Alternative Talk, 1150. All right, there you ride back at Urban Forum Northwest with my next guest, who is uh, interim CEO of Mary's Place, and they're doing some dynamic work. Uh, she's also Dana's best friend. So, uh, Dominique Alex Tade, uh, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. Uh, you're taking on a big responsibility. So, tell us a little bit about uh, Mary's Place, uh, how old it is, what they do and how they get folks off the streets and the beds and uh, proper living conditions. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. I'm really grateful to be here and have the opportunity to just talk about what's happening in our community and how Mary's Place is trying to be a solution, uh, at least a piece of it. Um, so uh, we've been around since 1999. Uh, we started off as a women's day center um, really responding to the crisis of single adults who are women experiencing homelessness. And since then, we have grown um, to really providing uh, family shelters um, and really thinking about how we meet families where they're at as they are losing their homes or about to and walking with them on that journey to stable housing. And that looks like uh, taking a three-pronged approach or an interconnected approach to really think about providing those shelter beds that you referenced um, for families that are in crisis tonight. Uh, we have 720 beds across the county. We also have a mobile outreach team that meets people in their cars, their tents. Um, if you are being discharged from a hospital with a medically fra fragile child who does not have a place to go to, uh, we also work with folks directly from there. Um, to move them into housing options. And then the third approach, which we are really trying to lean in and move upstream um, has to do with providing rental assistance and prevention support. So we do not have families experiencing homelessness at all. And how old is the organization? Uh, we are 24 years old. And it started in Seattle? It did start in Seattle, right in the heart of the city downtown. Okay, now is it spread out to other areas of the city or the county or the state? Yeah, absolutely. So we are across King County. So we have uh, as south as Burien, we have a couple locations in downtown Seattle with our beds uh, that I talked about, the family shelters. We have our Women's Day Center that sees about um, 100 women on average um, every day. Um, providing resources and supports um, beyond just the housing piece. So that's like health and education resources, employment, um, whatever your needs are, we really try to wrap around and support. We also are out in Bellevue uh, with one of our family shelters and in the city of Kenmore. Now your family, uh, Pastor Greg and Dr. D, we go with Dr. Greg and Dr. Dr. D, uh, uh, the Matt Talbot Center, uh, 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 place that uh, downtown that uh, Greg Alex put together. And then I also understand Dr. D, Alex, had had a, a couple of houses or a house where she was helping uh, women who were homeless. Yes. Um, so my parents are uh, 
two people in this community that I would say have been servant leaders for a very long time, uh, working really behind the scenes. Um, in the Matt Talbot, my mother was also a nurse working in King County Detox for many years. Um, and that has birthed a lot of support in our community for folks that have often been on the fringes of our society or what people would say throwaway folks, right? Um, trying to really think about how do we help people provide that hope and healing, um, whether that's through addiction and treatment resources, transitional housing, um, both with single adults uh, and with families, men and women, um, for uh, over 35 years. And so we currently at Mary's Place also partner with them um, to really think about if someone is struggling um, with mental health or addiction and needs those resources so that their family can be together um, they are also a resource to the families at Mary's Place. Now let's talk about the inner workings of Mary's Place. How many staff do you have? What are the positions? How many people are you seeing? Are there, is it a transitional kind of thing where people come in for a temporary kind of thing and you find them permanent housing? How does that work? Yes, yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, there, There is a, about 300 staff that we have at Mary's Place and we are very complex in the various positions we have so we have a those folks that are on the ground every single day so our shelter advocates that meet you if you're coming inside to do that intake and walk you along that journey we have housing specialists that support our families with their housing goals and those employment pieces or if you have a health need and connecting you to the right resources helping folks find jobs um, and some of those basic needs um, that people have um, so that, that we can take them from surviving to thriving um, in partnership. We also have our youth services, the majority of whom we serve are children. And um, so we make sure that our youth services is teamed up with families to provide that stability um, for children to have that continuity with their school district or finding a new school district and transportation. Um, really grateful for the McKinney-Vento Act that helps um, provide that for children. We also have um, our, I talked about our health team. So we have physicians and nurses and a behavioral health team um, to support families um, with, uh, if we have a new mom or someone who's experiencing pregnancy and getting ready to deliver and helping them through that transition and our Baby's Best Starts program or the medically fragile kiddos that we have that may need those additional supports while they're in shelter. Um, so we have that, you know, comprehensive team that supports. And then I talked about that mobile outreach team that meets folks out in their cars, their tents. So they're working around uh, our community, really kind of making sure that we know where families are located, providing those everyday resources that families need, but also setting those housing goals and moving directly from their cars and tents into housing, uh, which is a lot less traumatic and, um, cost-effective to move families from those locations directly into housing versus bringing them inside to shelter at times. Now, you have a downtown center, and is the 720 beds, is that downtown, or is that just around the city? That is around the county. So those 720 beds that I spoke about are across five different shelters um, in our county. And where are those shelters located for somebody listening that might need to be able to give the pass this information on to someone that's in need? Yeah, so the way I want to talk about how to access them, because I think it's really important to understand there's a centralized location 
for families who are in need tonight or have a family member or a friend that may need that. So that's our emergency um, intake line, which operates out of Mary's Place, but knows the available beds in the county across various providers. So it's not just Mary's Place. So you can call into our intake line and that phone number is 206-245-1026. And you are able to um, call in and tell them your need, get on our wait list for the day and try to get uh, a shelter bed based on your need or other resources that may be available if a shelter bed is not um, the need that they have tonight. Well, while this program is a one hour live broadcast and a couple hours, Eric, the operations manager station, will have it up online on Alexa. So this information will be available 24 seven. So we wanna remind people that uh, if uh, you know someone that might need this information, that might need some assistance, uh, you can have them go online or have someone that they know to have Alexa to get this information. Cause I'm gonna ask Ms. Dominique about the contact information to get her and her staff or anybody that's listening that might know someone that's in need. So your contact information, ma'am? My contact information, um, one of the things I will say is that I talked about that emergency intake line. So again, I'm gonna repeat the phone number because I feel like that's really, really important for needs that are right now. Um, it's 206-245-1026. You can also find us online at www.marysplaceseattle.org. And you can actually refer families that way as well. If you see someone in need, um, oftentimes your first response might be, uh, let me call the police or let me, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to walk away. But you can actually tell us where they're located and our specialists who are in our mobile outreach team will go and meet that family where they're at in the county. Um, so please go to our website. And some people may wonder, what can I do to help? Um, there's also resources online that uh, and connections on how to get a hold of different teams um, to provide support that you may have, whether that's a financial resource, a volunteer opportunity. Um, so that's the best way to reach us is on our online. Um, what resources. can individuals do to help you uh, by going to city council, county council, talking to Mayor Bruce or County Executive Dow about getting extra funding or what are your most uh, immediate needs that you have right now in Mary's Place? Well, one of the things I would say is that this crisis is worse than we've ever seen it. Pre-pandemic, we were able to ensure that no child sleeps outside if they called our intake line. Today, we have over 50 to 60 callers that are on our wait list, and only one to two of those families are able to get inside at night. And so the need is unprecedented. We have never seen this um, before. And so there is a need, yes, for additional funding, um, there is also a need to think about how do we stop this from happening in the first place? We need to fix the systems um, that are quite frankly broken, and that is going to take all of us. Um, that will take folks that are in legislation, uh, that will take policy changes, but also for folks that are like, what can I do as an individual? You all, like I talked about earlier, if you have resources that you can provide, if you want to do a coat drive, you want to do a hygiene or diaper drive. Those things are just as important as well as coming into shelter and serving a meal or providing some of your expertise. Um, we have pro bono legal assistance that people provide. Or um, if you uh, want to teach a class on financial literacy, um, all of those pieces are very important. And we really depend on our community 
to make the solutions to in this homelessness crisis um, a possibility in our future. It is solvable. Well, uh, Dominique, uh, Alex, uh, thank you very much. The interim CEO of Mary's Place, providing a very valuable service. And we'll remember you when the city council and county council start ditching out the money for the budget. We'll make sure that we advocate for Mary's Place. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, Hayward Evans, for hanging on with us. We appreciate it. And we're ready to check out right now. And I want to give a shout out to my sponsors before we leave. And that's Supporter Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office with me and Rice. Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Equity, and Inclusion, the City Sales Purchasing and Construction Services Department, SeaTac Bar Group, LLC. They own the Mountain Room Bar and the After Lounge on Concourse A at SeaTac. Uh, the brothers out of uh, Las Vegas, uh, Jerry Whitson and Rod O'Neill. I want to thank uh, Eric and also Shadi Moore for, for coming on earlier, giving a recap of uh, the dynamic MLK celebration that occurred at Seattle's Garfield High School. So thank you very much, and we'll be talking with you again next week. This has been Eddie Ryan with another edition of Urban Forum Northwest. Thank you, Eric. The views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of KKNW, its management, or other advertisers. Contests are the responsibility of the hosts of this program and not KKNW. This is 1150 AM KKNW Seattle and KPNW 98.9 FM HD3 Seattle. Time now for a quick look at our afternoon commute. Southbound I-5 stretching from about northeast 65th Green Lake area in Seattle on down to about the West Seattle Bridge is slow and from inner urban on down to about South 200th you'll find scattered delays. Now, taking a look at northbound I-5, we are looking pretty good through the region, but finding some congestion downtown. And then about 526 on up to about Marysville area is finding heavy traffic at this hour. 405 southbound slip. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend Port Gen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. At Sound Transit, we not only connect more people to more places, we're making life better for all. We're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire region of opportunities, like jobs and school. If you have an ORCA card, you can just tap and go. We have reduced fares for seniors and riders with disabilities. For adults with lower incomes, check out ORCA Lift and pay just a dollar for your ride. To plan your trip or to learn more, visit us at soundtransit.org.